Good morning. Um, I'm going to be reading from Isaiah 40, uh, 21 through uh, verse 31. And uh, this is kind of a confusing passage, and if you're not paying attention, who's talking to who at any moment uh, gets a little confusing, so I may stop along the way and just remind you who he's talking to. And it starts out where he's talking to the Jews who have been in exile in uh, Babylon, and he's reminding them who he is. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. That's us. Who stretches at, <clears throat> and it is he who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to live in. It is he who brings the princess and to naught and makes the rulers of the earth as nothing. So he's talking to our rulers for a moment. He says, scarcely they are planted, scarcely sown. Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows upon them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. And now he's talking to you and me. To whom then will you compare me? Who is my equal? Says the Lord, the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host and numbers them and then calls them all by name because he is great in strength, mighty in power, and no one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? Have I not known you? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint nor grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strength to the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Our reading today from Mark's Gospel comes from the first chapter beginning with verse 29. And this picks up immediately after the passage that was the text last week uh, where Jesus is teaching in the synagogue and they recognize that he speaks with an authority that is unlike others. And he walks out of the synagogue, uh, several houses down is the house of Simon Peter. And as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her at once. Jesus came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought him all who were sick and possessed with demons. 
and the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And in the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place. And there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. And when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. And he answered, Let us go into the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is why I came out to do. And then he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh God, there is a lot here in these passages. Help us to find your message for us and the variety of things that you are trying to teach. Be with us now and speak through these words. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Fred was right. Uh, Isaiah is, that passage is a very, it's loaded with all kinds of images and a, a variety of different history. Let's see if we can put that in some kind of context. Throughout the month of December, throughout Advent, we have sung, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and Ransom, Captive Israel. That hymn refers back to exactly what's going on here in Isaiah chapter 40. For Judah and Israel, both nations, both kingdoms had fallen, and the, the inhabitants, particularly the leaders, have been taken into captivity by Babylon. And this is a long captivity. This has gone on for generations, and, and the, the people have grown very despairing of of any hope of ever being able to, to return back to Zion. But the exile is not just geographical, it's also emotional and spiritual. And because it has gone so long and seems so futile, many had given up any hope of ever getting to return. Now, the situation is changing in Babylon. The Babylonian emperor has been deposed and is being replaced by a Persian emperor who is allowing the people to return to Zion. And it is into that situation then that the prophet comes and is trying to remind them of a truth greater than their release from captivity and that is the great truth of the Creator God who created them, who sustained them, and who is now offering them the opportunity to return and once again become a people. 
being exiled, being in desolate situations, having times of frustration, each and every one of us has known those periods. Whether it's an illness, a death, a loss of a job, a loss of relationship, we've had those times when we have wandered in the desert of, of despair. Now, I guess my guess would be that uppermost in the mind of, and hearts of most people this morning and this weekend are those of you who have been wondering how long you're going to wander in the Super Bowl desert. Was there ever any hope? But people, that reaction that we have of having waited so long is only a blip on the screen compared to the decades that the Israelites were in captivity in Babylon. But it does provide us some insight into frustration and hopelessness of our desert experiences, whether those are geographical, emotional, spiritual, or physical illness. Now, our current social moral and cultural context leaves many of us feeling that somehow we have lost a sense of reliable world. And so we too feel some exile, some frustration. For the symbols of meaning are, seem to be hollowed out. Hopes are dried up and we feel helpless. Human decency and respect seem in short supply. Our values of caring for the poor and the less fortunate seem to be denigrated by a very self-centered mindset. And politically, we have seen a movement play upon and build upon the indignation of people who feel hunkered down in life like they're not experiencing the, the full robustness and richness of God's kingdom. Now, they might not be able to verbalize the exact nature of, of the real absences and losses in their lives. But the temptation, the temptation in those experiences is to fondly remember the good old days. You ever heard those conversations? You know, in the good old days, I walked to and from school up the mountain and up the mountain both ways. We have a tendency to, to want to go back to the good old days. But one of the things that's probably true is that in the good old days, we were younger. The days may not have been so good, but we were, you know, we were younger. But we long for that time when the women were all strong, the men were all good-looking, and the children all above average. And I think at a very deep emotional level, you and I know that what is being expressed goes far beyond a slogan of make America great again. And our task as people of faith 
is to rediscover God's real world as it was for the Israelites, the message that Isaiah is trying to help the Israelites understand. And to rediscover that is far, far greater than any nostalgia for America way back when, but goes back for we who are people of faith to memories of moments when Jesus was born, when fishermen followed, when Israel marched home, and when the early church prayed and served. And so as the Babylonian emperor is being dethroned and replaced by the Persian emperor, and the people are free to return to Zion, the prophet speaks to remind them that their salvation was not just in being released from captivity by the Babylonians, but rooted in the Creator God. And Isaiah says it so well that I'm not going to try to reinvent the wheel, but I would read once again what he says to them. Have you not known, have you not heard? Throughout all their years of captivity, have they not understood? Have they not remembered? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strength to the powerless. Even youth will faint and be weary, and the young will fall down exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. But it's interesting how history tends to repeat itself. For Jesus, as we begin reading through Mark's gospel, Jesus came to minister a people who felt like they were exiles in their own country. The Roman emperor was in charge politically, but there was also a lot of other things happening, and they sensed that they were losing a reliable world. Symbols of meaning were hollowed out. Their hopes for a Messiah are dried up and gone, and they are a people who feel helpless. And so Mark, we're early in Mark's gospel as he's writing about the beginnings of Jesus' ministry and the calling of the fishermen and the teaching in the synagogue as one who had authority. There was something about Jesus when he was teaching in that synagogue in Capernaum. People were straining to hear and catch every word. And I suspect the reason for that was that he was not passing on Bible facts or outlining rules we have to follow to avoid God's wrath. He's connecting with his listeners in the depth of their own sorrows and hopes, regrets and fears, misery 
and tender affections. For he had been where they are. He had encountered God's love in precisely the very personal spaces and places that people were most vulnerable and hurting. And he was there to help them to experience God's holy, life-changing love for themselves. And so his authority among them came from his willingness to be vulnerable about his own search and his own humanity. In Jesus, God touched, caressed, healed even the deepest, most fragile places in all human life. And where we read, as Jesus enters the home of Simon Peter, he almost effortlessly heals Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. And word spread. You were told that the whole city is gathered outside the door. And so when it was evening, and again we need to understand that this is the Sabbath, so you don't do work on the Sabbath. When it was evening and Sabbath was over, they brought him all who were sick. And he healed many of them. But there was also something else happening as Jesus is doing this. He begins to understand, and, and he does this throughout most of his life and ministry. He is always very cautious that, that his miracles of healing and casting out demons do not become the mind, the primary focus of his ministry. That his real ministry is to come and to help people experience God's love and to capture that message. You know, he seems, you know, he, he, he prohibits the demons from speaking his name or recognizing him. And at other places where he does healings, he tells people to go but don't tell because he is aware that there is this, this tension that, that, that goes on. Jesus understands that his healing mission is not just for a few people who were healed. He understood that there was a marked difference between the salvation God would accomplish through him and the healing miracles that would take place. And think about the difference. Healing vanquishes illness and creates health. But it does not vanquish the power of death. You can go to a hospital and be healed, sent home, but the reality is that each of us is going to face death. And so the healing doesn't pre prevent us from that human experience. But salvation, salvation in its full and completed form is the annihilation of the power of sin and death and the raising up of men and women to eternal life. And when we take this wider understanding of salvation, we begin to understand that people are not healed through Jesus' miracles, 
but it is through Jesus' wounds on the cross that we are healed of the power of sin and death and gathered up into the indestructible love of God. Mark tells us that early in the morning, Jesus left Peter's home, goes out to a lonely place, as is so much a pattern of Jesus' life. He goes out there to be alone and to pray. But also a pattern of his life is that people always come seeking him and looking for him. And when Peter gets there, he, he tells them, everybody is searching for you. You need to come back to Capernaum because everybody wants to see you. What were they hoping for? More miracles? I don't know. But Jesus recognizes that his real purpose is not to be spent only in Capernaum. But he says, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. Now what's that have to do with you and I? Jesus sends you and I out into the world to talk about God's love, to share the good news with the authority that comes, not from our ability to perform miracles, but the authority which comes from our personal experience of God's healing, life-giving love. And we will draw people to God's love for them to the extent that people know that we have been where they are. And then they will risk going deeper into that love as they trust that we will continue to travel with them to a new and a wondrous place. It's for this purpose that Jesus came out, and it's for this purpose that God sends us out to experience and to share the experience of God's salvation and God's salvation power at work in your life. Amen.